Welcome back to the lovely unnamed podcast with your three favorite gifted performance coaches. Myself, the hostess with the mostess, the squat father, the padre of knee flexion. That's all I got. We got Hector, Captain Mtor, and then Paul, who's wearing his nicest, his nicest wife beater for you guys today. I suspect that he'll be wearing that at his wedding. I, dude, I wear <laughs> this for you guys. You're really busting out of that thing. What are you, 235 now? 235 today? 232. Okay, big We're boy. pushing for it. All right, so what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about uh, some CIRMS, so what that actually entails, what that abbreviation actually stands for. Um, and then we're going to be talking about a little bit of AI as well, what that stands for, what that means, um, some of the research on the actual compounds, um, a preface for today, all of today's discussion is not us giving you advice or telling you what to do or what to take. And if you message any of us for that kind of information, we will decline your DM or we'll put you on red forever. And then you feel like a piece of shit. So that's that so where do you want to start you want to start on serms or do you want to start on ai um i mean we can talk about ai um and you know i think that there's a lot of talk about keeping estrogen low um when people are trying to lose weight and there's maybe some mis misunderstanding about estrogen's role um estrogen is actually slightly anabolic um and again guys just let everybody know we we are not advocating for anybody to take any of these substances, especially if they're illegal in your country. Um, we just think the mechanisms are really cool. We think they're interesting. And we think that we can take some valuable information from that, um, which is maybe not as practical, but theoretically it's, it's really, really interesting. So if you look at estrogen in um, something like say cancer cachexia, so in cancer cachexia, uh, cachexia is actually means uh, a wasting disease. And when somebody has a tumor from cancer, they, um, they actually start to lose a lot of fat as well as a lot of muscle. And that can um, be a comorbidity to the actual you know, tumor. So if you look at uh, male mice, and you know, keep in mind, again, we're also talking a lot about animal studies. And animal studies, as great as they are for you know, knowing some concepts, they aren't always translational to um, you know, human studies. And uh, what you see is if you have male mice that tend to have very low estrogen and they get a tumor, they waste away a lot faster than female mice. And not only that, but uh, female mice waste a lot faster after they've had, you know, and uh, their ovarians removed or, or you know, they had their um, pretty much their reproductive system messed with and they can't uh, create any more estrogen, which suggests estrogen actually has either an anabolic or an anti-catabolic role. And uh, at least in terms of, of cancer, what you have is this, this receptor on these muscles and it's called GP-130, it stands for uh, Gifted Performance 130. Now I'm just kidding, it's, it's, it's a glycoprotein. We, we didn't get a, a protein named after us just yet. But oh, yeah. um, be patient. Not yet, close, just give me five years. But um, <laughs> if, uh, if you have something like a tumor, which interleukin-6 you, you guys are familiar with, is very high, that can blunt anabolism, but estrogen can actually stop uh, that blunting. Um, so I know, have you guys read any, any research on, on estrogen's effect, at least on anabolism or, or catabolism? 
I was actually going to pose a uh, more practical question for you based off of what you just said, because I know I'm sure you guys get this all the time in your inbox or just talking to people at a gym. Um, some natural athlete will come to you and they'll say, OK, there's this over the counter AI or maybe they uh, think it would be really neat to use something that uh, maybe you could only get black market or prescription and they want to uh, decrease estrogen in hopes of building more muscle and from what you're yeah. saying this is a very faulty um way of thinking yeah yeah absolutely um if you remember from your uh so what does ai stand for it's an aromatase inhibitor and if you remember from your biology class the, that you know ending ace usually means that there's an enzyme so um if you look it's, it's cool if you look at the structure of testosterone and you put it next to the to the structure of estrogen and We'll see if we can get a kind of a picture up here for you guys. They're extremely similar structurally, you know. So what's happening is when you have testosterone, the aromatase enzyme is actually part of a class of proteins called cytochrome P450s. And uh, cytochrome P450s is not like the cytochromes in mitochondria. Cytochrome P450s actually just got named that because you see the highest absorbance of light at 450 nanometers. But um, not really any useful information for anybody. But what cytochrome P450s do is uh, the majority of them will um, pretty much, you can call it detoxify drugs or, or a better phrase for it would be uh, help you excrete drugs, which is why, have you guys ever heard, don't take grapefruit juice with certain drugs? Yeah. Mm. Like certain, certain drugs for like arrhythmias or blood pressure and stuff. So what a cytochrome P450 is going to do is if you have, say, you know, this drug, it's going to actually uh, attach, like, uh, make an oxygen and a an hydrogen or, or hydroxyl kind of attached to that, which makes it more water-soluble, and then you can kind of excrete it. So, so these, these cytochromes are really necessary for excreting drugs. But if you inhibit it with, with grapefruit juice, what happens is not only does the drug stay longer in your system, it stays at a higher concentration, right? So when you have a drug like uh, an aromatase inhibitor, it's aromatizing testosterone is the estrogen via that reaction, right? And it, it, yeah, if you're taking an aromatase inhibitor, you're going to blunt that to an extent, but you also have to take into account genetics. So there are things like single nucleotide polymorphisms. Um, you know, you could have a genetic variance where you're either making a lot of this enzyme or very, very little amount of it. You know, that's why you have some kids that have gynecomastia at like 13 years old. You know, that could be a potential reason. They, they just, they don't, they have either too much or too little of it. And that's just based off your genetic code. So if you're like, oh, you know, let me just shut down estrogen for whatever reason, because I heard on the internet that estrogen is bad, then you don't know, maybe, maybe you have uh, some, kind of, some kind of genetic variance where you have very little of that enzyme to start with. And now you're just completely shutting it off. And estrogen is, you know, estrogen is vital. I mean, that's. I think that's a really neat point because a lot of people will sort of jump the gun and make assumptions. And they're only looking at it from a muscle building standpoint where there's that's... also the health aspect. And they're just taking shots in the dark. They may not even, they may already have low estrogen values and they create issues um, or exacerbate issues. Uh, what I think, uh, what do you feel about, um, I think a lot of these same people may 
be somewhat research savvy and look at AI research that has maybe shown an increase in um, natural testosterone, I guess if you want to call it that. Have you looked into any of that research? Not in uh, an aromatization inhibitor increasing testosterone. That, that's not something that I'm too familiar with. I, I do know, um, so a uh, funny story, I knew a guy at, a, at the, an old gym I used to work at who was, I think, in his late 70s, early 80s, and he had uh, his testosterone levels checked because his libido was really high. And uh, it turns out that uh, what's the normal range for test guys? Like 300, like 300 to 900? 200 to yeah. 300. He, he was at 2,300 as a, a 70 to 80-year-old man. 2,300. Naturally, never, never taken anything. Like this guy has double to triple the testosterone that most of us will have in our prime in our teenage years and, and the values of the basin study with the 600 milligrams and uh and you know it's, he was just like man i'm just like my libido is crazy high so i went to the doctor and it got checked and he's just like that naturally like that's a genetic variant and you know one thing that you have to know about enzymes and aromatases and enzymes is if you have a lot more substrate building up you're going to push that reaction in the forward direction and you're going to have a lot more product. So if the substrate is testosterone and the product is estrogen, as you increase all that testosterone, which, you know, if people take exogenously the same thing, but in our case, we're talking about just someone who had this crazy genetic variant, um, you're going to have a lot more of the product, which is estrogen, you know, and again, estrogen, it's kind of like, um, there's a sweet spot. Too little is not good. Um, too much is definitely not good. Uh, but you want just the right amount for, you know, normal bodily functions. So did he mention that his estrogen was, was very elevated if his testosterone was also very elevated? No, I think uh, when I had talked to him about it, this was like the week of that he found out. Um, and I don't think he had any treatment yet. My main question to him, I was like, uh, first of all, I was like, dude, were you an awesome athlete when you were younger? <laughs> and uh, he told me he was a damn good gymnast. Um, Makes sense. He was like really good. Yeah. But um, my main thing when I asked him, I was like, hey, hey you know, did your doctor uh, mention anything about prostate cancer um, with this elevated rate of testosterone? And interestingly enough, um, he was like, you know, he said that I've had it high my whole life. And, and you know, I mean, his prostate's been fine. But again, you, you don't want to take that as advice. You know, he, he is the exception, not the rule. Like yeah. that's. That's amazing for him. It, yeah, it'd be hugely important for him to start getting other hormones checked and make sure that his estradiol wasn't crazy high, DHT levels were normal. Um, I'm assuming probably other hormones as well. So, because uh, I mean, maybe I don't know. This is an assumption. Do you think maybe there could be like a pituitary issue or as well something there could? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that would actually probably be the source of it, um, you know, and then for his case, an aromatase inhibitor would be really useful because there's there's two types of aromatase inhibitors. There's competitive and non-competitive. Competitive is, uh, it just means that when you have that aromatase enzyme, it's going to go in the spot where testosterone would go, and it's going to stop it from binding testosterone and converting it into estrogen. Now, if you vastly, here's here's the trick, and here's where a lot of people don't know, if you vastly increase the amount of substrate, then the inhibitor's action will be diminished. Because based off just statistical probability, right, all that's happening in your body is just molecules are just bumping off each other randomly, and they just happen to interact if they hit at the right angle, you know, at the right orientation. 
If you vastly increase testosterone, but you keep the, the dose of the inhibitor the same, you're going to have a higher chance of aromatization just based off the probability that if there's 100 testosterone molecules and one inhibitor molecule, and there's 50 enzymes, chances are 49 of those enzymes, if not all 50, are going to be linked up to testosterone. Interesting. Isn't that the, what is that, the law of ever-increasing numbers? As the number gets higher and higher, the probability yeah. of that event happening becomes yeah. larger and larger. And initially, uh, when you got into this, were, were you talking about um, negative impacts of estrogen uh, getting in the way of muscle growth or fat loss? Because I guess we should probably tackle uh, whichever one we didn't cover in terms of, because I know a lot of maybe naturals think that, oh, if I take an aromatase inhibitor, you know, some, some are looking at it for muscle gain. Others may be looking at it for, from a fat loss perspective. Yeah. Well, what about, what about the yeah. health aspect as well? Like what are some of the other, the other purposes you hear, you often hear that like, uh, estrogen is very cardio protective. Oh, it, it is. It one. is. Absolutely. So, um, so another thing, just to, before we get off topic, um, there's actually a, another kind of aromatase inhibitor besides the competitive, and it's called a non-competitive. And what it does is it doesn't bind the active site where testosterone links up. It, it binds what you would call an allosteric site that causes the conformational change so that it can't bind testosterone at all. It's, it, I believe um, another phrase for it is a suicide inhibitor. I was going to call it, yeah. You, nah, yeah, you, suicide. You, you probably don't want to do that because you're going to be offsetting a lot of, a lot of, you know, aromatase that you might actually need. But in terms of health, so if we look at a postmenopausal woman, really quick, what's one of the biggest issues six months after a woman hits menopause? Bone density. That thing drops crazy, right? And that's because estrogen, based off uh, you know, the presence of whatever isoform of the receptor as well as the the tissue. So uh, if you have uh, so, for example, CIRM, which is a, a selective estrogen receptor modulator. Um, a CIRM and a really popular one that we use in the lab is actually tamoxifen. It actually has anti-estrogen effects on breast tissue, but pro-estrogen effects on bone tissue. You know, And it's given to people, remember, it's a cancer drug. So it's given to people who have breast cancer because you're going to diminish the effects of estrogen on the breast but it also happens to increase the density of their bones. So it, you can't think of estrogen as having this just one quality. You know, it, it depends on like what tissue you're talking about, what receptors, it even depends on like genetics and just the environment at the time, you know? So I really hate to give like broad generalizations or I hate when people are like, oh, you know, I'm gonna take this, this and this. Like you don't know what's going on in your body. You know, you, you, you don't know your genetics. You don't know any of that. You, you know, you might be experiencing some issues and like you guys said, health issues, it might screw you down road really, really, really hard. Yeah. I know a while back, a lot of the, uh, I don't think now so much the over the counter, like you could go to the uh, supplement store and there were certain aromatase inhibitors that were popular. And I think now one of the more popular, I guess, like natural ones is uh, DIM or DIM or whatever like that. Have you, have you heard about that or looked into that at all? Oh, no. No, no, not at all. What's like that? Something you extract from broccoli or something that may have oh. some like small effect on estrogen. Yeah. Um, so on the topic, uh, what's really cool is uh, plants kind of evolve differently than animals, and because of that, their biochemistry is hundredfold more complex and intricate than animal biochemistry. So um, a lot of the a lot of the 
really useful things we use in terms of um, drugs to treat diseases and supplements and stuff actually comes from plants. So I, I would believe that, it's, you know, if, if it came from broccoli, I wouldn't be, uh, I definitely wouldn't be surprised at all. It's funny because my first ever bodybuilding coach who grew up bodybuilding in the 90s, she told me during my first prep, uh, you want to eat a lot of broccoli because it's good for anti-estrogen purposes, and you want to eat a lot of asparagus because that functions as a natural diuretic. Uh, <laughs> and I'm yeah, in school right. at the time, and I'm like, all right, yeah, I don't know what the yeah. fuck you're, I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah, a lot of these phytochemicals like you're talking about have various effects in the body. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Did she also tell you to eat tilapia because it's in the skin? Thin the fuck out of my skin. God damn it. I yeah. got a paper cut. Hospital like that. Immediately. Immediately. Girthy and covered in dick skin. Um, <laughs> so, Hector, what's the relationship between uh, estrogen concentration or estrogen count and high-density lipoprotein? Is there, um, is there a correlation there? Is there a relationship there? Uh I'm not really sure. I, I have heard, and, and this isn't something that I looked into in the literature, but, you know, just kind of heard from people talking who mess around with stuff that um, taking aromatase inhibitors and stuff like that can really impact your um, triglyceride levels, you know, your, your metabolic panel pretty much, well, I think especially your HDL. Yeah, because I think we have to, a lot of people, they, they think exclusively muscle when they enter this endeavor and forget that these things bind to receptors in the liver and yeah. Then yeah. that may impact cholesterol levels. And, you know, uh, especially when there are so many different types of, or types of aromatase inhibitors and SERMs, they each yeah. have a different impact on different tissues. Yeah. yeah, and people like to demonize estrogen, but so... Adipocytes, which are um, just your fat cells, right? Um, they have, uh, so, so an isoform is just a variation of a receptor. It means it slightly differs from the standard. So you have an alpha and a beta receptor. And um, fat cells are mainly going to uh, have the alpha estrogen receptor. Uh, to my knowledge, from the last time I looked at the literature, and here's the thing. If you knock that out of a mouse, if you take that, you know, receptor completely out. It can't, it can't, ha I can't express it. The mouse ends up fatter, right? It actually ends up getting more weight because apparently there's, there's nothing interacting with this receptor that has somewhat of a, of a important role. And not only that, but humans who are deficient in aromatase, that thing you're trying to inhibit humans that can't express that as well as humans who are deficient in the, um, I believe it's the alpha isoform. They actually have higher insulin insensitivity. They have a bit of insulin resistance. Now that's, you know, that data is not an experiment. It's more observational. So we can call it correlation. As you guys know, correlation is not causation. But I mean, there's certainly something to be said there about uh, kind of messing with those things in your body when there's a strong correlation, you know, that could potentially impact your health. Yeah, I mean, they could be potentially messing with a lot of things. And even I know from muscle growth, uh, not to get too much into you know, um, different compounds, but I know like with cattle, for instance, um, what, didn't they find out that when they, the cattle, uh, they gave them estrogen, they actually grew more than just with androgens alone. Are you guys aware yeah, of that yeah. research? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I haven't read it, but I've definitely heard of those, um, kind of situations. 
And uh, I think that, so there's, there's a drug that's in phase three clinical trials for breast cancer. And um, now I, I forget the name, but it, when you give it, it interacts with the alpha receptor and actually shown to decrease. Um, and again, to Paul, what you were saying, this stuff interacts with everyone in the body. It was shown to decrease uh, fat in mice uh, for two separate reasons. So firstly, it made you more inefficient at utilizing the energy that you get from food. Now, I don't know if that was the actual biochemical pathways or just the absorption of that energy, but it did make them less energy efficient. And also at the same time, so there's um, estrogen alpha receptors in your hypothalamus and in your pituitary. And one of the main things that the hypothalamus controls is appetite, right? So apparently when you, when you gave them this drug, um, it just made them want to eat less. And as an effect of them eating less, they actually lost weight. Now, let me ask you this though. Is it worth taking something that interacts with a billion things in your body that has maybe some unknown side effects uh, just for the fact that you're going to be a little bit less hungry? Yeah, and also you're talking about it as something that's still in clinical trial. And um, people can't exactly extrapolate that to other CIRMs. Yeah, so. yeah. They're different, you know, because if you look at, uh, so for example, tamoxifen, and again, we use this in the lab. It's actually a pretty commonly used um, thing. Tamoxifen as a CIRM has a totally different effect than this other drug that's also a CIRM. So, you know, you can't put CIRMs in this broad category and say, oh, yes, they do this. Or yes, they do that. It's a lot more complicated. If you look at studies that um, actually look at adiposity in people, how fat they are, right? Uh, and you look at the people, the group that got tamoxifen, they, they show more central adiposity, as in more fat around their, their actual abdomen. Now, the question is, you know, the, that group that got tamoxifen, they're getting it because they're cancer patients, right? And the other group, they're not cancer patients, so they're not getting it. And there's definitely some interactions there because it's like, you know, do they have more central adiposity because maybe they don't live a super healthy lifestyle and because of that, that's the reason they got cancer and now they're on this drug? Or maybe the cancer is contributing to the central adiposity or is the CIRM itself contributing to the adiposity around the waist? We don't know. You know, you, you can't exactly um, do those experiments on humans. It's not very ethical. You can do it on mice. But then again, how much of that data is translational? No doubt. Yeah, because if they were unhealthy, you know, we know things like metabolic syndrome or uh, pan pancreatic exactly. distress or dysfunction can cause that central adiposity as well or increase in it. I think that's a yeah, relevant but, point to what you were talking about with the folks that were insulin resistant from the, dr the other drug that you were talking about. Um, it's like, well, do, were they insulin resistant because they were overweight or was, were they insulin resistant because they were taking the drug? And right. we know yeah. we know for sure that obesity and being overweight drives insulin resistance, and it also drives cancer. So it's an easy correlation to make there. But I think that exactly. just give it more time to let this kind of stuff hatch out before you like play around with this, these kind of drugs. Exactly, man. You know, I'm you know I'm a big proponent of you know so do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting other people. But uh, you know, educate yourself before you make any of these choices. Understand there's you know there's a lot of risk and.